and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Friday, July 23rd, 2021. This is the home edition. I'm at my house right now. I was, uh, most days now I'm doing it from Chabad, now I'm doing it from the house. And in the house, we have the great pleasure of having Nassen, my oldest, back from Yeshiva. He's finished with Chicago, three years in Chicago, he finished. I have two kids that came back from camp. Oh, it's a party. Anyway, Baruch Hashem. So let's jump in. We have so much to cover today. Oh, we have Chana is joining us. Where's okay. Nassim going next year? Los Angeles. Ooh. L.A. Oh, he knows a rabbi there. I thought you the brother, your brother-in-law. Oh, he's got he's got mishpacha there. Leah has two brothers in LA. There's it's a really fantastic yeshiva there, so we're excited. And the kosher restaurants are pretty good, so that's that's what they say. LA is uh, not not a bad place to, to study for a few years in yeshiva. Um, he's taking his talents to the West Coast. So let's jump in. Hey, Chana, welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, let's take a look at reading number six, and we begin with Shema. Can't start any better than right here, right now. Ve'et Hanan, reading number six, as you can see in that bar over there. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse number four, and that is Shema Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, hear O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That is, you know, the Torah has a lot of verses. There's a lot of verses in Torah. And I'll tell you, it could be like, this, Torah, this verse is important, that verse is important. We're coming to a verse, we just read a verse, that is probably the most famous verse in Torah. At least from a Jewish perspective. It's probably the most famous. Because of the prayer, the fact that we recite it. It's the first prayer that we learn as children, the last prayer that we typically, that tradition we recite before we pass away. It's, we say it a few, multiple times a day. It's a declaration of the Jewish faith, monotheism. This is like, encapsulates Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Let's continue. This is again part of the Shema prayer. This is where the Shema prayer is taken from. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your means. Let me explain what that means. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, heart means bishneyitzaracha um, means with um, with both your good inclination and your evil inclination. In other words, both sides of your heart, both all elements of your being, should learn to love God. Which, according to Kabbalah, means that we can even meditate on the fact that connecting with God is good for the bottom line. Also, are you with me on this? There's one way to say, forget money, forget materialism, let's do a mitzvah. And then there's another way to say, no, even more so, when we do what Hashem wants, when we do what God wants, it's beneficial also for us on a physical level. So this is how we get both sides of the heart, so to speak, both the good and the, the, part, the, the, the work in progress part of our heart on board to love God. Does that make sense what I just said? Yes? No? Doesn't make sense? All right. Here we go. You ready, Donna? Because uh, you, you, you said no, so let me jump in. Uh, here, here are two, two ways, two ways to, to explore this topic. One uh, of, uh, of um, aligning with God. One, one way is to say, look, 
money and fame and fortune and um, uh, honor and pleasure. These are all things that I, I like and want. But I know there's something more important, and that is God and that spiritual connection and purpose. So I'm going to forget all these other things and focus on God. Okay, so that means that I'm, I'm, I need to choose one or the other. In the second model, the meditation is, one second, I want these things. Not, not the bad things, but the good things that are still materialistic. Okay, the best way to get them, not that it's, a, not that it's like a whole devious calculation, but if the more I'm aligned spiritually, the more I'll be aligned physically as well. The more spiritually connected I'll be, the more everything else will click in my life on a pragmatic level as well. And so therefore, if I want the physical blessings, let me do a mitzvah. So one, one perspective is let me shun the physical experience and do what God wants. The second meditation is, no, I don't need to shun to do. I don't need to be motivated by this anti this to get that. I can even be motivated by the pursuit of it and, and recognize that even the pursuit of the things that I need are also enhanced by my spiritual activities. And that's a way to get even the, the animal soul on board with going to shul. The animal soul says, I, I want to work. You tell the animal soul, why do you want to work? You want money? Go to shul, daven, connect where you need to connect, do what you need to do, and Hashem will make sure that you're taken care of. So even the animal soul can get on board with that. So all of this is a very long or whatever, a bit of an elaborate explanation in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy as to what it means to love God with all your heart, which means with all your, with um, both inclinations. As Rashi says, love Him with your two inclinations. What does it mean? That's with all your heart. There are three expressions, right? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might or with all your means. So what is heart? Heart means both sides. What is all your, because all your heart. All your soul means even if he takes your soul. In other words, even if it means to give up our life for a belief in God, then that's the extent. We love God even to that extent. We're willing to put, put everything on the line. And what does it mean with all your mean, with all your might? Rashi says with all your means. It means with all your possessions. Why? Because Rashi says there are people whose possessions are more precious to them than their own bodies. Therefore it says with all your means. Let me explain what that means. Um, for some people their money or their property is even more valuable than their life. And you're going to ask a question, who would put money before life? And then I'll ask you a question. Have people ever risked their lives to make money? And the answer is yes. Have people ever risked their lives for fame? And the answer is yes. You know, people take YouTube, you see these YouTube videos of people climbing buildings. You ever see that? They climb buildings. Either they're abandoned buildings or not abandoned buildings or buildings under construction. And they stand out on beams, no supports, garnish nothing, to take selfies and pictures and vlogs and videos and, and post them on YouTube and Instagram and all that stuff for fame. And maybe fortune. I would hope they're making some money off that somehow. I don't know who's sponsoring that. Um, people risk their lives for all sorts of things. And so for the person whose stuff is more important than even their body, the Torah says, love God even with all your stuff, right? Use your resources in the pursuit of loving God or doing a mitzvah, etc. Let's continue. Verse number six. We've only covered the first two verses. Let's move on. And these words, which I command you this day, shall be upon your heart. Words of Torah, which I command you this day, shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them to your sons, children, 
You should speak of them when you sit in your house, or when you walk on the way, or when you lie down, or when you rise up. And it's a reference to Torah study, that we're supposed to study Torah day and night. We're supposed to teach Torah, study Torah. We spoke about this Wednesday night, first teach and then study, even though it seems chronologically it should be the other way, or conceptually it should be the other way. That's, we'll save that. You could reference the Wednesday night class for that, for that insight. But what's the main idea here? Is that Torah study should be ever-present in our lives. And, more specifically, the recital of the Shema. These words could mean, these literal words, Hear, O Israel, these literal words over here, these words shall be upon your heart. Teach them to your children. Say them in the evening when you lie down and when you rise up, which is why there's a mitzvah to say Shema in the evening and in the morning. Remember we studied Mishnah together after my grandfather passed away and we asked the question, when does the evening Shema obligation begin? When you lie down, what, is, what defines nighttime? What defines the morning? Right. So this is where the source is. Lie down and wake up, rise up. Those are the two times that we say the Shema in the evening and in the morning. And you know where else the Shema goes? It's written on a scroll and it's put in the tefillin. And you shall bind them. Yeah, in the mezuzah. It's tefillin and in the mezuzah. Yeah, and that's what it says right here in verse 8. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as for ornaments between your eyes. Sarah, jump in. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you said what defines morning and nighttime. Yes. You know, could you go over that real quick? Sure, sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So the Mishnah, the beginning of Tractate Bracha, which is the first tractate of the Mishnah, actually has a this elaborate discussion about, you know, when does, for the nighttime Shema, so when... When is too early and when is too late? Like there's a window. Nighttime Shema is a window. So what's the window? So it says the window is from when it gets dark, when, when, it gets, when nightfall happens, until essentially Chatzos, which is midnight. Not, not 12 o'clock exactly, but like the, based on halachic times, it's either 12 or 12.30 or 1 or whatever, but somewhere there. But the, there was another opinion that said you could even do it until daybreak. So you really could do it all night. Why did the rabbi say until midnight in order that a person shouldn't push it off and then fall asleep and then not end up doing it? So the rabbis wanted to make sure that you got, get it in before you, know, you fall asleep and you, you're not, you know. Who hasn't fallen asleep reading something or watching something, right? So, yeah, and, and, and boom, and the next thing you know, it's the morning and, you forgot, and, and, and it's possible to forget the Shema. So therefore, it's important to do the Shema when we're still, you know, to, to move it early enough that we're going to remember to do it. Um, but it, it only begins after nightfall, and then ideally we do it by midnight. The morning Shema begins, according to the Mishnah, there's, diff- there's three different opinions, but the, the, um, uh, it, it's, it's when there's enough sun on the horizon that you can distinguish between, like, two different colors, like blue and white, or bl- even one opinion says blue and green, and uh, turquoise, which are closer in, in, in color, so you need even more light to distinguish between those two colors. But essentially, when it's daybreak, you can begin, and you only have about three hours into the day to say the morning Shema. So I'll give you an example with Atlanta. I have an app that's called Zmanim. You can download it wherever you are, and it's, it's an Android. This is on Android, but it might be on, uh, on, uh, on iOS also. So in Atlanta today, the morning alois, daybreak was... 5.17. The earliest time to put on talus and tefillin was 5.52. Nate's was 6.44. And the last time to say Shema and do the mitzvah of saying it in the morning was 
So essentially from daybreak, and it just depends on where you are and what, you know, literally the day, um, but you have about three hours into the day. From about, yeah, you know, you, really Nates is really when you want to do the Amida, you can do Shema a little before. Okay, you have until, until about 9.30 here to do, uh, to do the Shema. It's about three hours, three hours or so into the day. Um, after that, the Mishnah says, you could still say the Shema, but you don't get the mitzvah of saying it in the morning. And the morning has a specific definition. So night is after nightfall, as long as it's night. Until when? Until, well, twilight, so no. So it doesn't have to be like Shabbos ending after three stars. It's really what we call, um, give me a second. Let's see if we have, no, we don't have previous days. So let's see. Shkia is, tonight is nine, uh, 8.44. Candlelighting is 8.26. Shkia is 8.44. Latest Mincha is 9 o'clock. Ben Hashmashot is 9.14, which is two stars. Look, the, probably the best way to do this is to look. I stopped sharing for a second. Let me take a quick look on Chabad Zmanim. They have, they have good Zmanim also as well over here on Chabad.org. So yesterday... Um, Yeah, I mean, Seder Kochavim is, is really, yeah, 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 yeah. That is, nightfall is defined when three medium stars are observable in the nighttime sky with the naked eye. So um, this is the time for the beginning of night for all mitzvahs, including the Torah obligation of reading the evening Shema, counting the Omer, um, the end of fast days, and all matters related to the laws of family purity. It's the preferred time to begin praying the evening service as well. Um, so Where that is. I'm oh, sorry? Chabad.org. Chabad.org. Here's what I'm going to do I'm going to put into the chat um, something that you might find interesting. This is for everybody, really. Um, it's a list of Zmanim explained. So this will have the different halachic times. So you know what's daybreak, what's nightfall, and what does it mean, and what things are triggered at those times, so that's a definition. As far as the actual times, I'll send you another link, which is gonna be the actual times. So, Zmanim, Shema's twice, Shema's only twice. Zmanim literally means times, literally means times. So here, here's, here's what you're gonna do. I'm gonna copy and paste, but you're gonna replace the zip code with yours, okay? I'm posting 30306 where I live, but you can replace it with your favorite zip code <laughs> or the zip code of a friend. Um, and then you can find out your halachic times. Okay? So that's it. You just click on that link and just swap out the 30306 with your zip code. Or once you pull up that thing, you could just type in the box and change your zip code from that interface. You just hit change location and you type in um, your zip or city or state or whatever it is. And it'll tell you the halachic times of that day. That's a great handy tool to figure out many things that are important to figure out. Judaism is obsessed with the calendar and with times. So there's a lot of uh, implications of that. All right, let's get back into our convert. Yeah, was that good? Does that, does that make how sense? Do, how to do chat? Can you email it? Um, sure. I can email it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can do that. I will drop both of these into an email. 
and send them to you, not a problem. Okay, let's jump into, um, back into the text. Um, a second here. Okay. And we are ready to roll. Okay, so we are still, I think we're still middle of the Shema. We're about to finish the that first paragraph. Rabbi, can I just add what follow-up Sure. So, what if someone schedules an air, airplane flight Good question. and to get back in time for Shabbos or something like that? And you know, air, sometimes airplanes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so if a person's on a plane and the plane is delayed and there's no way around it, then you just try to avoid doing anything that is not Shabbos friendly. So look, you're not flying the plane, right? So you don't, you don't set travel on Shabbos, obviously, but if, you're, if something you know, out of one's control happens, then you just you go with the flow. You just do what you got to do. You got to be safe also. I mean, like you can't, if it's not safe to be... You know, and if you land in an airport on Shabbos because, you know, the flight was in the air for 12 hours and, or six hours and you, it messed you up and now you're in an airport and whatever and now you got to get home, so maybe you could also get a cab. There might also be a halakhic permissibility for one's safety to, to make a plan. Um, but the, the ideal is not to fly on Friday. Some people don't travel at all on Friday. Some people don't travel out, outside the morning. Again, it's still possible that an emergency could happen, but um, the, the ideal is really not to travel close to Shabbos for that, for, for actually for that concern. Um, famously, when the previous Rebbe was, was told by the, by the Soviets that he's going to be released from prison, so he told them, but not on, not on Shabbos. And they wanted to release him before Shabbos, but he'll be traveling on Shabbos. He said, no deal. He stayed in prison an extra few days. This is in Russia, in like, in a terrible, they put in the worst of the worst, where they would shoot people continuously throughout the night. Um, that was like maximum security, like the worst of the worst prison. And he said, he's staying, he's not going anywhere because not traveling on Shabbos. So, and that was above and beyond because you and I, you ask a rabbi, get out of there. First opportunities, you get out of there. Save your life. But he was, it was a, but his thing was, a, it was, the whole thing was a statement. They were making a statement against Judaism and, and that's why they arrested him, right? And if they got the rabbi to violate Shabbos, that would have been a victory for them on the way out. They, had, they bowed to international pressure and divine pressure, certainly, to let, to free him. So they had to free him. But if they could get him to violate Shabbos on the way out, that would be a consolation for them. And he didn't want to give that to them. He couldn't give that to them. Anyway, but that's another story. Um, let's get back to the Shema, to, the, to, to this teaching. So we, we talked about tefillin, which is verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and ornaments between your eyes. And what that means is there's two boxes of tefillin. One is on the... I'm actually expecting a few pairs of tefillin to arrive today, UPS. Um, I was tracking it before. Uh, my son, Shalom, is, uh, please God, becoming bar mitzvah in a few months. So we're getting his tefillin, the custom, Chabad custom, and as well as others, is to put on tefillin. Start training in putting on tefillin already a few months before the bar mitzvah so that you're, you're used to the, uh, to the straps. So there's one tefillin on the arm that is opposite the heart and another one on your head between your eyes. 
That's what verse 8 says. And num verse number 9 is the mitzvah mezuzah. And you shall inscribe them, specifically the words of the Shema, upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. This is also very important. We have a scribe workshop coming up in a few weeks. And um, it's something we're going to learn how it's written. And we're going to have a chance to practice writing the Shema the, 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 um, on, a, on a parchment with a quill. But here's the point. One second. Riva, Riva can you close that door, please? Thanks. So, um, mezuzah ideally should be, the mitzvah is, on every doorway of your home. For, a lot of people are familiar with the fact that, uh, that it should be in the front door, but it really should be ideally on every door of the home. If one cannot do it right away, then, then we do it slowly. Riva, please close the door. Then one should do it slowly. You know, one, one room at a time. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not a tremendous expense. They range anywhere from $40 and up. $40 will get you a 100% kosher mezuzah. Um, and you could certainly go more mehudr, more beautiful from there. Um, and, uh, and that is the, hold on one second. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> we got some, some excitement in the house, apparently. So getting back to the mezuzah, if you don't have mezuzahs on every doorway of your home, and a doorway is defined very simply as, you know, the two sides and a, and a thing going that way um, across the top. So boom, 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 that's a frame. Whether it has a door or doesn't have a door, if it's a frame, a door frame, it should have a mezuzah, um, except for a bathroom and a room that's never used. Otherwise, every other room should have a mezuzah, and you can go, you know, room by room, step by step. Start with the, with the front door, and then bedroom, and then kitchen, and then dining room, living room, etc. And then, you know, go from there. Um, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because we're learning about mezuzah. And it says doorposts of your house. It doesn't say front door. It says doorposts and your gates, your front gate. If it has a frame, should also have mezuzah. Yeah, right. Okay, so I do have them on every door, as you might know. But yes. um, I do have a, a, a walkway like, so you could go in on either way. And I had a mezuzah on both sides, and I was told that was not correct. Right, only so one side, right. Them. Correct, only one side. Yeah. Yeah, but you can you walk in either way. Yeah, but you just choose a way. You go the way that you would normally go in, and then you do the right side. Yeah, it's always on the right side, and it leans in toward you, that you slant it diagonally toward facing in toward the room that you're going into. But the flow, there's a whole, it's not, an, it's, it's not a simple topic. There's a whole, you know, whole um, area of, of, of knowledge, of, of halakhic knowledge about the flow of a home and, and wh which constitutes the right side. Because in the middle of a house, you can go to a room this way or that way. So which is the right side of the door? Typically, you start with the front door and you flow through the house that way. That's typically how you would do it. Typically how you would do it. All right, but yeah, you, we wouldn't put it on both sides. Even though you come from both sides, you would just, the, the, the one that makes the most sense, you would just put it on that side. All right, let's jump into verse number 10, and it will be. When the Lord your God, again, this is Moses speaking to the people before his passing, when the Lord your God brings you to the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you great and good cities that you did not build, God is going to give you Cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill. 
and hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. So God is, gonna, God is taking you into a land flowing with milk and honey that is already built out. It's beautiful. There are houses and there are cities built and houses built and vineyards and hewn cisterns that were hewn, right? All that stuff. And you will eat and be satisfied. In other words, you're going to live the good life. So here's the warning. So all of that is good, right? Moses saying, it's going to be good. It's going to be good beyond your wildest dreams. It's going to be, you're going to go into the land and it's going to be amazing. But here's what you need to watch out from. Beware, he says, verse 12, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Don't forget God. Don't forget how you got there. You shall fear the Lord your God. Fear means, of course, awe, respect, reverence. Worship him and swear by his name. And what that means in the negative sense, in other words, the do not, is do not go after other gods, of gods of the peoples who are around you. Just because there are other nations that serve other things, that have their own practices, that have their own spiritual paths, does not mean that you should adopt those paths. For the Lord your God is a zealous God among you, lest the wrath of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you off the face of the earth. Well, that's kind of a warning, right? You're going to go in, and the implication is that the more luxurious it is, the more, spirit, the more physically indulgent it is, the greater the susceptibility to falling off that spiritual cliff. Right? It's like when you're struggling, not you, when one is struggling and fighting for what they need, there are no atheists in a foxhole. Right? You don't, you're praying to God because you need. But when you show up and everything's set out for you and you're living the good life, you have not a material worry, you might forget about God. You might forget about God and say, oh, look, everything's good. It's like the famous story, the joke with the guy in the parking space. Yeah, guy's late for a meeting. And he pulls into the, the parking lot and he can't find a spot. And he's like, oh, every minute, every second, late, 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 late. He's going crazy. He starts making deals with God. He says, God, please help me with a parking space. Please, 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 please. I'll, uh, I'll go to Shul on Shabbos if you give me a parking space. No, no parking space. He says, I'll go to Shul this week and next week. He starts making deals. He'll do this. Be at Sadiq. Finally, a space opens up. And he turns to God and says, you know what? Forget the deal. I got a space. That's the way it works. That's the way. When we're in need, we're desperate. We'll do anything. Right? We'll make deals with God. And when everything's good, who needs God? That's the, that's the, that's the, that, you can, listen, you, we can say it shouldn't be like that. Of course. But that's, you, you and I know that's the way it is. Yeah. When we're nervous about something, we're all spiritual. And when things are great, it's easier to, easier to forget. I'm not saying, you know, when things are good, we're all horrible people. God forbid. No, that's not going that far. I'm just saying it's easier to forget. That's what Moses is being cautious about over here. He's cautioning the people. You're going to go into the land and it's going to be amazing, physically amazing. Be careful lest you forget. Make sure you don't forget about God. That's it. Let's continue verse 16. You shall not try the Lord your God. Don't test God as you tried him in Massa. That was one of the places where the people tested God. What happened there specifically? 
um, in Masa, when they went out, Rashi says, when they went out of Egypt, when they tested him concerning water, as it says, they asked, is the Lord among us or not? They didn't have water. And, and what did they say? Not, um, hey, Moses, can you help us with water? But they said, is God among us? So Moses says, uh, don't do that again. Right? Let's not do that when you go into Israel. Like, don't do that. Diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. Is that a period when it should be a comma? Boom. Who's keeping track of the typos here to submit to Chabad.org editor? Let's continue verse 18. And you shall do what is proper and good in the eyes of the Lord. Powerful verse. Do what's proper and good in the eyes of the Lord. And in order that it may be well, that it may be well with you, and that you may come and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your forefathers, to drive out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. In other words, if you do what is proper and good, it's going to be good for you. If you do what God wants, it's going to be good for you. You'll get the land, the enemies will be driven out, and everything is going to be fine. Let's see if there's a Rashi on that that specifies what that means. What is proper and good, Rashi says, this refers to compromising, acting beyond the strict demands of the law. And this is a lesson. Talk about a lesson. This is, this is for us right here. Compromise. Compromise. Working with each other. Yeah, we have a, ten, a human tendency to want to be right, to want to win, right? We want to be right. We want to be vindicated. We want to be right, and we want them to be wrong. And then justice will have been served. I'm right. You're wrong. Even they know it. They agree. All right. Now we're good. Torah says, stop it. Stop the competition. Stop the competitiveness. You know what the best is? You know what the Lord really likes? God likes pshara, compromise. You know what's proper and good in the eyes of the Lord? Not when you're right, but when you can work with somebody and find the solution and make everybody happy. That is the ultimate. Va'asisa hayasher v'hatoiv be'ne Hashem. Rashi says, doing what is proper and good in the eyes of the Lord is not winning. It's compromising. Not selling out compromise, but compromising, i.e. working with those around us. It's a beautiful thing. That's what God wants. Yeah. What does a parent want? Think about parent, parents and children. Yeah? You have kids. Shalom. Come here for one second. One second. I know you're making shakshuka. One second. One second. Shalom, we're all waiting. Okay. <laughs> okay. First of all, you just got back from camp. You have to say hi. 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 Why well, you're like very close to the camera. Move back a little bit. There you go. All right. So Shalom just got back. You could see he's nice and tanned from the from being in the outdoors. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Has it ever happened that you've had a disagreement with your brothers on something? Maybe. Maybe, maybe once or twice. So what? It, so here's my, here's my question for you. What what do you think I would like more? To have to decide which one's right, which one's wrong, or that you guys can work it out and, and, and make everybody happy. We can work it out. Good. 
All right, back to the shakshuka. <laughs> he learned how to cook in camp. I'm kidding. He knew how to cook oh. before that. No, no, no. He learned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, yeah. That's the guy. Sean, come back. No, I'm kidding. You're fine. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, it's he's um, his birthday is the 11th of Yud Alef Cheshvan, which this year it's a little. Everything's early this year, so it's um, October. Save the date. Save the date. Um, middle of October. Uh, what's the date on this? October something. You'd think I would know. October 23rd. Bar Mitzvah. Um, okay, so what's the point? Here's my, it's a very simple point. I just, you know, it's good to, good to schlep the kids in to say, number one, say hi, number two, you know, whatever, part of the experience. What, what's the message here? The message is, who wants to, to, to judge between one and the other? That's, that's, that's like, that's not a good thing. No one wants to say, you're right, you're wrong. That's not, that's not the ideal format for any of this. Ideal is we all get along and we work things out so that it doesn't go to the courts, so it doesn't go to judges, so it doesn't go to parents. The parents want a referee? You kidding me? Work it out, right? I'm on vacation. Joking. But that's, that's, the, um, that's, that's the ideal. I know I'm like focusing a lot on this verse, but to me, this is like what the world needs. I mean, like how there's so much conflict in the world. Can't we all just get along? I mean, can't we just figure things out and make it work? Wouldn't that be amazing? I would love to live in that world where people just figure it out and get along. And you know what it means? You know what it takes? Compromise. It does take compromise. It means I'm not going to be 100%. You're not going to be 100%. I won't be 100% right. I won't get 100% of what I want. But you know what? We'll be happy. It's like you want to be right or you want to be happy. Because when we're right at the expense of someone else being wrong, you might feel vindicated, but that's not a happy world, right? It's not a happy world. It's not a happy world. And ultimately, we're not happy. By cutting the baby in half. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're saying, yeah, you're saying that's a compromise or that's not a compromise? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one yet. That's, that's not a good compromise, right? I mean, that was, uh, that was a ruse. I once saw the most incredible insight. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember like a twist to that, a whole to that whole story that explained it on a much deeper level. I think one day I'll teach a class on that if I can find that insight wherever it was. It was so beautiful. That's a really good story. Maybe we'll do stories like that, stories of Solomon, Solomon's wisdom. Yeah. All right, back to our story, back to our Torah portion. Let's jump back in. Let me share my screen. Where are we? Okay. Um, oh, and then if we do that, if we compromise and get along, then Hashem will bless us with everything and the enemies will be gone. If You know how I read this right now? Because we're doing this right now. If we don't have internal enemies, then we're not going to have external enemies either. Fighting with somebody. Fighting with somebody else is, is an internal enemy. We don't have internal enemies because we get along, then we're gonna get then, then then there's not gonna be external enemies either. Let's continue. Let's talk about um, education. If your son, really child, if your child asks you in time to come, and I was at a later point in time saying, What are the testimonies, the statutes, and the ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you? 
And it's kind of a question, not only what are the mitzvot, but why are there mitzvot? Like, why, why Judaism? What is this? You shall say it to your son. By the way, this is the question of the wise son at the Seder. This is the wise son's question at the Seder. What's the answer? Avadim hayinu hayinu. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord took us out of Egypt with a strong hand. You tell your child a story. They want to know why, why Torah, why mitzvot, why Judaism. Let me tell you a story. Take a seat. Let me tell you a story. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord took us out of Egypt with a strong hand. And the Lord gave signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt. That's the plagues. Upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there in order that he might bring us and give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to perform all these statutes. Let's circle back to the actual question, right? This is the story, but here's the punchline. God took us out and God, God gave us the land and God gave us all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good, all, for our good. It's beneficial for us all the days to keep us alive as of this day. And it will be for our merit that we keep to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know what the Torah doesn't say? The Torah doesn't say that when your kid asks why, you say, because you have to. Because <laughs> that's the way we do things. Stop asking questions. No. You sit the child down and you tell a story. You have a conversation. You have a dialogue. Anyway, that's, a, that's an important lesson into itself. Jewish pedagogy. Let's continue with reading number seven. Deuteronomy chapter seven, voice number one. When the Lord your God brings, again, Moses speaking to the generation, to these people that will very shortly be the ones crossing the Jordan into, the, into Israel, into the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land to which you are coming to possess it, God will cast away the many nations from before you. What are they? Seven nations. Get your pen and paper ready. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites and the Jebusites. Is that seven? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Boom. Seven nations. Hey, I can also count that up. Seven nations, more numerous and powerful than you. I love this. Moses says, by the by, by the way, you're going to go into the land. You're going to encounter nations, nations that are more numerous and powerful than you. Don't think you have a chance, but you'll still be victorious. Why? Because God will cast them away. And the Lord your God will deliver them to you. And you shall smite them. You shall utterly destroy them. Neither shall you make a covenant with them, nor be gracious to them. Okay? By the way, this not make a covenant is not, is not set in stone. What this means is don't... Oh, no thanks. Look at that. What a nice son. Look at you. He asked if I want some shakshuka. That's so thoughtful. Ask your brothers, though. And your sister. Shakshuka is like eggs with like a, like a, um, a red sauce type. Oh, yeah, I know. It's like, like the puree, like the red puree, and then, yep, yep, I know. It. And then they, it does it. So you can actually buy something called shakshuka mix at Trader Joe's, which is kosher. I know. I know. I've gotten it. So that's, that's what he does. So that's what he does. So he does the mix into the frying pan, and he first... Trader Joe's. Yeah, the, yeah, the Trader Joe's one is kosher. So you first cooks up the, um, what do you do? You first cook up the, the saucy part, and then you crack the egg into it, and then you get that going. Okay, hold on one second. One second, guys. Shalom, can you please get this and, and give it to mom? Okay, but 
answer and say one second, let me give it to my mother. Okay, hey guys, this is a busy, answer it please. Busy, busy household. Yeah, can I know her? Okay, so back, back to our story. So don't make a covenant, it's not set in stone. I have to be, according to halacha, according to history, they did make, they did attempt to reach out to the other nations and to figure this out and to like, you know. But what it means is, don't be, when they say, well, you know what, let's just, we'll stay here and we'll continue to serve idols and whatever and, la and the land of Israel will be a mixed land, that's, that's non-negotiable. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughter to his son and you shall not take his daughter for your son. The concern here is, of course, the integrity of Judaism. Because if you have, you know, a generation or two in Judaism where everyone is, where Judaism does not remain, the commitment doesn't remain in that pure state, then you have a challenge. The challenge is Judaism disappears after, a certain, after not, not too long of a time. For he will turn away. He is this unspoken about um, other nation person, right? He will turn away your son from following me and they will worship the gods of others and the wrath of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. But there won't be Judaism left if there is just a loss of that core commitment. But so shall you do to them, the nations. You shall demolish their altars and smash their monuments, cut down their asherim trees, those were idolatrous trees, and burn their graven images with fire. In other words, destroy all the remnants of idolatry. So we have two commandments. In these first five verses, we have the idea of not intermarrying, and we also have the idea of not leaving the idolatry um, paraphernalia, the altars, the monuments, all that stuff. And, and they're both about the same thing, both about Jewish continuity and the pragmatic idea that Jewish continuity is only going to happen if we're fiercely committed to our faith and not getting distracted. So if we're fiercely committed, we're on track, we're on target, we're on board, then, then we, got, we got a future. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to have this thing keep on going, if it's if it's if 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 Judaism turns into idolatry, and and it looks like every other nation, then it's not Judaism, and that's the, the only reason why Judaism is alive today is because for the last thirty three hundred years, which is countless generations, Jews have said, "I choose Judaism," fiercely, uncompromisingly, I'm, 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 I choose this without compromise. If at any point it veered off uh, for the, you know, at a certain number, a certain tipping point, or certainly everybody would have said, you know what, let's, uh, let's just compromise, then it would have been, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have Torah, we wouldn't have mitzvot, Judaism would not, would just simply not exist. It would just have assimilated into the culture and would have been part of everybody else. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his treasure people out of all the peoples upon the face of the earth. In other words, Judaism is something special, something unique. We've talked about many times, it doesn't mean better, but it means chosen, chosen for a purpose, a specific task. The world needs Jews. We had a course called Judaism's Gifts of the World, right? The world needs Jews and Judaism. And the more we know that, the more we'll stay committed to our unique task. 
Let's continue. And it's not because you are more numerous than any other people that the Lord delight in you and choose you. For you are the least of the peoples. As the Torah predicts, predicted 3,300 years ago, Jews are a very, very vast minority amongst the world's populace. God doesn't love us because we're the most, but because of the Lord's love for you. God chose you not because you were so many, but because he loves you. And because he keeps the oath which is worth your forefathers. He's also on the hook to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord took you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Just in case you were a little bit fuzzy on the story, we were in Egypt with Pharaoh. Remember that? We just talked, right? And we got, I'm just joking. And we got out, and God chose us, and God gave us the Torah, etc. Know therefore, final verses of this week's Torah portion, know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God. God is faithful to you, who keeps the covenant and loving kindness with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. That's Once again, we have a thousand generations for a, a blessing. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to cause them to perish. He will not delay the one who hates Him, but He will repay Him to His face. You shall therefore, given the nature of consequence and the nature of our mission and the nature of God's love for us, you shall therefore observe the commandments, the statutes and the ordinances which I command you this day to do. So what we find here, interestingly, I don't know that I'm going to be able to go back. We've talked about so many things. I don't know. Sometimes I like to go back and summarize, but I feel like I just want to end with this point. Yeah, it's too many. Too big. It's like so big. But here's what I want to end with. You know, you've, we've all heard of the phrase Jewish continuity. You know, when you hear this, every generation struggles with the challenge of Jewish continuity. Every community, every generation, the, the federation, studies, Jewish, how are we going to ensure, synagogues, movement, how are we going to ensure Jewish continuity? You know what that, you know who the first one that worried about Jewish continuity was? Moses. Moses was the first one that worried about Jewish continuity. Moses was about to pass away and watch his people, well, pass the baton to Joshua and say bye to his people. And you know what he wanted more than anything else? For Jews to remain Jewish, for Judaism to remain alive and vibrant, for the Jewish mission to be carried on into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Not by people who felt guilted into doing it, but because they were passionate and recognized the purpose of doing it, purposefully driven to be and act Jewish. That's what Moses wanted. And every generation brings a whole host of threats. At that time it was, you're going into hostile territory with idolaters right there. Pagan, you're going into a pagan environment and trying to transform it into a Jewish environment. Good luck. And you're the minority. And, 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 and based on the odds, what's going to happen? If you just look at scientific, follow the science, statistical odds, Judaism will vanish. That's the statistical odds. And you're trying to fight against science and math and statistics. And the only way to fight that is fiercely. Fierce, fiercely fighting nature. And that's where Jewish commitment comes in. And that's what Moses was trying to instill that fire, that passion into his people. And it worked. And I know this because we're still here today. And we're here because our parents were committed, because their parents were committed, because their parents were committed, because Moses all the way back said, 
Y'all better be committed. <laughs> you better do this. Right? So we're here. We're here as a testimony to ourselves and our commitment to our faith, but also as a testament to all the other generations. For one generation, had the Jewish people collectively said, nah, come on. Let's just be Roman. They're having so much fun. Let's just be Greek. What are we doing? This is ridiculous, right? For one generation, had they said, let's just be normal like everybody else. We're not here. We're here because in every generation for the last 3,300 years, there were enough Jews that said, we are different. And we're not going to sell out. We're not going to compromise. We got something unique and something valuable. You got something unique and valuable. Yeah. Chana, we're all lucky. We're all lucky. We say it every morning. How fortunate we are to be part of this incredible, incredible place. Yeah. And to be the ones carrying forth this incredible mission and legacy of Judaism. It's, it's a privilege. It should humble us and thrill us. The one thing it shouldn't do is annoy us. Right? It's a beautiful privilege. All right, with this, I'm going to sign off. And um, I want to wish everybody a wonderful Shabbos filled with light and the sound of popcorn bags being folded. <laughs> it should be a, a Shabbos filled with light and joy and appreciation for the blessings that we have. And we all have blessings. We all have blessings. Big or small, big and small, we have blessings. The fact that we're all here, beginning with that fact, is the greatest blessing of all. Let's be committed to our commitments and, uh, and bring the light into the world. All right. Shabbat shalom, everybody. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much, Trevor. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great to see you. Sarah, Oliachana, Ray, and Donna. Lots of love to everybody. Take care. Su Sunday night. Yes, yeah, Sunday night film. 8 o'clock at Chabad. Yep, 8 o'clock. Thank you, thank you. We'll have you, we'll have you in mind. We'll be here in spirit. All right, we'll oh, see you guys. On the side. Oh, there you go. On the live stream. All right, take care, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.